Well then, we are so glad that you are here and you are a part of what God is doing here at Promise Church. And uh, I just wanted to circle back to that grant idea. Um, serving the community and, and going out and doing lawnmower repair is so crazy awesome. It's a great idea. Um, so we're starting a grant with an idea, and that's one of the two ways you could start a grant. You could start a grant with no idea, and you know your group of people just gets together and generates an idea. Or you could do it this way, start a grant with an idea and invite people to come and join you. And so Gary's come with an idea and you can see the picture on Slack. And, uh, and it's a great idea and so I just encourage you, even if you're not mechanically minded, he was like, I've got, I, I can help prepare and, uh, and train you for that so that you can go and serve in the community. I was pretty excited. Um, and uh, yes, Nick, that was my water bottle, really. Um, <laughs> So thank you, thank you for, for joining, and I believe that God is going to do awesome things uh, through this church and in this service, because God is going to be continuing to speak with us, because he is good. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are reminding us of what you do when we read scripture today, when we just repeated the same passage three times and, and heard the same story about people being cut to the heart of you drawing 3,000 new people in, of you establishing your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior through the resurrection. And so, Jesus, today, as we come into your presence and we continue reading Galatians, God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us and that we would be ready and prepared to hear your word God, and more importantly than just being the person who hears the word, but that we would hear and know how to put it into practice. And so, Jesus, today, I pray that you would be glorified in your name. Amen. I'm going to start off just by reading our text today, and it's a little lengthy text, but it is good, and, uh, and then we're going to, to dig in. The promises were made to Abraham. And to his offspring. This is Galatians 3, 16 to 24. And it does not say, and to offspring, referring to many, but referring to one, and your offspring, who is Christ. Paul's doing some definition work here. This is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came three, 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that, by the, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, Came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
So then, law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Wow, this is a huge passage that gets debated significantly for the past 500 years. This passage was, was probably one of Martin Luther's favorite passages in which he hung a lot of his understanding of Jesus and the New Testament and what led into the reformation of the church 500 years ago. I think it's 503 years ago to be exact. And, uh, and so that is, that is where he's getting this from. He's saying that the law existed as a tutor and that faith came to release us from that tutor to give us access to God. And that's, that's where he's going. So I went to Bruce's Peninsula in like Tobamori, Bruce's Peninsula area. It is beautiful. I was reminded of this uh, by my promise group a few weeks ago because they had a picture of themselves at Bruce's Peninsula. And I was like, wow. I just, so many memories and so many beautiful place things there. It's actually one of the, in my opinion, one of the top five most beautiful places in Canada. And uh, if you've never been up there, um, go this summer. At some point, just go up there and just see the cliffs. And Lake Superior, Georgian Bay, that's, that's what makes a peninsula. It's Lake Superior and Georgian Bay that come together at that point. And the water is like freezing cold. It is ridiculously cold. I think only Kent would like to swim in it. Um, but it is beautiful, and it is crystal clear. You see to the bottom, anywhere you are almost, you just see right to the bottom, and you see little fishies, but you see them swimming around sunken boats. And, and there's, a, there's a whole bunch of just sunken ships that, have, that it, they, they've just they sunk, and then that's where they lay. And it's beautiful. It is gorgeous, and there's something about these sunken boats, and, and, you know, just the water over them, and I was imagining, you know, like, what would it be like to try to bail out one of those boats? Like, you're somehow on the deck, and you're just trying to pull the water away from, from, from the deck, and you realize pretty quickly that, that that's just never going to happen, and so we'll get to why that was in my imagination a little bit later on, but it is a beautiful place, and you honestly should go there. I'm hoping that today in Galatians 3 we understand and unpack our, our, our uh, idea of faith and its, and its conflict and its, and its work with the law and how those things work together. And it's, it's a challenging passage because it's kind of a hot-button passage in the church. I was once preaching when I was younger and I wasn't quite as experienced and I was preaching in a church about, about this very topic and I stepped on a couple landmines and I was asked never to speak there again, so hopefully I'll do better here. Um, and, and so this is, it is a very challenging conversation when we talk about faith and law and how does this all work. Um, and so today, when we, uh, when we, when we get to um, talk today, I invite you to have conversation with us on general. You can, you can be listening to us here on Slack, having conversation, but also in promisechurch.community, you can, uh, you can go to today's message and the text messages. I get them straight to my email. So our text says that the law was introduced because of transgression. You know, transgression is a word that I want us to help understand. Just a, a way we want to look at it is, is it's the way that people naturally live. 
It's just the way we naturally live. It's simply the way that people who would call themselves good moral citizens live their life. And, and I would just want to refer back to Judges 21:25. In those days, there was no king of Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And if there's something that I've seen in our culture today, that's where we are as a culture. Everybody determines to do what is right in their own eyes. I haven't yet, in all of my extroversion, talked to people who actually come up to me and say, you know what, Rob, I try to do everything that I think is wrong in my own eyes. I just... I have my understanding of life, I've got my, my moral you know, compass, however it's set, and I try to go against it as much as I can. I don't know anybody that tries their hardest to push against what they think is right. I know lots of people who have a different definition of what is right than I do. I know lots of people who say that they're going to, to do whatever, and I'm like, how did you rationally justify that type of bad action in your mind? But if I listen to them long enough, and if I follow their train of thought, I can actually understand how they got to think that it was right. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And I think that that's where the world is, and it's where the world has been since the fall. When we get to transgressions, it's people's natural way of living. Their self-informed, self-directed way of living, saying, this is what I think is right, and I'm going to go and do it. And so what we see is, is we see that, that in transgressions, we get, this, we get this idea right here in our text, and it says, the law was added because of transgression, and then it says that it was a, a tutor or a guide for us. What it means is it's saying, you're doing what is right in your own eyes, but something is off compared to what God wants to see happen. This is, these two things are not equal. My sense of, my sense of knowledge of what is right and wrong invariably butts itself up against God's. And so what happens is the Bible calls that transgression. People and, and it comes from this. People experience themselves as the center of their world. That is how you actually experience yourself. I don't care if you're Christian or you're non-Christian, you experience yourself, sorry, you experience yourself as the center of all of your senses. There you are. That is how you experience yourself. And so everything comes in through your sensing organs and it, and it gets processed in your brain. It affects your heart and your whole being and that is how you experience the world around you. And so you experience it that way. Because of self-interest and self-promotion, you will prioritize yourself over 
others. And maybe you, you, get, you get so good as to prioritize your family as an extension of yourself over others. Or you prioritize your community over others. And we get these concentric circles of what is my priority as a being. And somehow, I find myself the one experiencing it. And that's the way that humanity is. We experience it. And so, we need to see that these natural actions where we put ourselves at the center of our world and from that vantage point determine what is best for us and ours above everybody else, we see that it moves us away from a direction that God has us moving. God has us moving from a very different perspective. And because of that conflict of direction, we have transgression. See, God has a different perspective. He doesn't experience everything through the vantage point of a human individual. He has a different perspective, and he sees how humanity can actually center around something different than themselves. They can center in a different way. And so, transgressions destroy what humanity was created to be. See, God's created order was to be sustainable, where all parties care, love, and serve all other parties with such integrity that one does not need to be concerned about themselves. This is crazy. This is unbelievably challenging. When God exists, we see that, that God, we'll actually look at it, Galatians 3.20, says, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So, so we see that, that God's sustainable order says that, that God prioritizes and cares and loves the other to such a degree that the other does not need to care for themselves because they are already cared for and all of their love go towards the other. Where do I get this from? I get this from the theology of God is one, yet we understand the Trinity. I get this from the pre-existing God who has eternally existed in perfect communion in himself. God the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus the Son, the Word. And, and we see that God is indivisible, fully loving upon, fully creating within, fully sustainable, balanced. The love that Jesus has for the Father and the Spirit is so absolute that it is completely self-denying. The love that the Father has for the Spirit and the Son is so absolute it is completely self-denying. And when you get into that type of harmony, there is no need to care for self. This is my wife and my marriage. No? Sometimes, sometimes it is. Sometimes marriage has this beautiful moment in it where you're like, my spouse just cared for me so much that all that's left for me to do is return that. All that's left for me to do is to love them back. I don't have to take care of myself. 
because my spouse just took care of me. And sometimes it's not. Sorry, Val. <laughs> it's an image. It's an image. It moves us towards, and that's why marriage is so often used as imagery towards the type of relationship God has us in. So God doesn't need to promote, promote himself. Sorry, Val, again. What? <laughs> God doesn't need to promote himself, look out for himself. The others do. And what happens in Genesis 3 is so tragic in this way. The introduction of transgression. Humanity was born into, created into perfect harmony, where there was no need for the human to look out for themselves because the Godhead had taken care of all of it. There was no need to, to protect, to defend, to develop, to, to do all of those things because God had poured love into humanity. And all humanity was called to do was reflect that love back to God, and that perfect harmony continues. Where Adam and Eve in the garden perfectly love each other, selflessly caring for each other, and God in that, because all of it is perfectly harmonized. And it breaks when the experienced desire to elevate oneself over and against the other My perspective of life says here I am, the center of my universe, by my experience. I need to promote myself. I need to differentiate myself, show myself different from, show myself equal to, better than. And so Adam and Eve fall into the same trap that becomes transgression when they say, I am like God, I am equal to God, I want to take part in that, I need to promote that, I need to put myself over and against God. Shattering the harmony. And now every human is born into this, into this reality that we say, I this is transgression. It's the way I live. I do what is right in my own eyes. You know the reason that I hit that person was because they deserved it. I needed to balance the scales in my own eyes. I needed to protect myself. And in this world, sadly, you still do. I don't live in this fancy world where, yes, we're getting back to this harmony, but I live with this harmony in the end sight. This is where Jesus is inviting us. But the question is, why the law? Well, the law exists to point out the spaces where you're seeing yourself first, to point it out and to say, ah, the way God sees it is different. The way God sees it is, is you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't protect yourself by murdering your enemy because God's like, oh, that, that shouldn't be a threat in the first place, right? He sees that, that we all live in that transgression. So the law was an intermediary. 
We, we are, it is an intermediary, an intermediary. Someone just asked, does that mean that if we have created idols for, of ourselves, for ourselves? And absolutely, we have. We worship ourselves. It actually says in, in the Old Testament that your God is your stomach. Your appetite, what you deem best for you right now, that's what you, you get. You're, you're just pulling in for yourself. Yes, you made an idol of yourself. It's biblical language for it. And so, so we do this. And so the law points out, hey, you didn't do it the way that we were created to be. You didn't do it that way. So the law becomes a teacher and a guardian saying this is how you ought to live. I recognize that you can't live like that. You know, when it is foreign to us, I, I think back to the boats that are sunken. And here we are, we've got these sunken boats in Lake Superior. And the idea is that you try to bail out the boat because you know that the deck is supposed to be dry. It's supposed to look like this. That's what the law's doing for us. It's, it's a picture that, the, that a boat is supposed to float. It's not supposed to be underwater. And so sometimes as the church, we're sitting in one of these sunken boats and we're trying to bail out the boat because we know that the deck's supposed to be dry. Why can't I get the deck dry? It's that picture right there that says the law could never bring us about the righteousness that God wanted because it's just supposed to teach us about the righteousness that God wanted. Yet here we are as a sunken boat trying to clean up our lives, make the deck dry. I just want the deck dry. We judge each other and say, my deck is more dry than your deck, yet we're all underwater. And we think, we see this perfect image that a boat is supposed to sail gloriously on top of the water, yet we find ourselves sunken 150 feet underwater, bailing our own decks. Trying our hardest. What hope is there for us then? We see this recognition that the way God had us live, the harmony that we were supposed to be in, and the law shows us that. It shows us that the boat's supposed to float, that there's supposed to be a person in the, in the helm steering the boat, and our boat's going nowhere because we're sunken. And it's challenging. It's demoralizing sometimes. When I look at the condition of my own heart sometimes, I, I am shocked. As a pastor, I should be better than this. I'm sure that you feel that too. As a Christian, maybe for 30 years, maybe you've, you've been plowing the way for so long and you feel like you should be better than this. And once again, you look at the condition of your own heart and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. I keep on being that person that's trying to do it my own way. Trying to get to righteousness by bailing out my boat all by myself. See, the law was never intended to be the moral, civic, or priestly place where it was going to get us to God. 
It couldn't do it. It fundamentally could not do it. All of the laws that lead us to be like loving of our neighbors and and all of the laws that say, oh, don't covet or don't steal or don't hurt somebody or rescue someone's, someone's goat when it falls or whatever these laws are, They couldn't get us to God. They were never intended to. Uh, Galatians 3.21 said that if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law. If it could have done it, it would have done it. So is the answer, someone just wrote, is the answer pure self-denial? Forgetting about ourselves and only live for God and for others? Is there any room for us to, as unique, independent individuals? Great pickup. Great pickup. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that one second, and then I'm going to go back to Galatians 3.21. So here's the thing. Forgetting about ourselves and living for God without the thought of anybody else, absolutely, that's such a great ideal. And, and the Eastern Orthodox faith would actually say that we're being brought into this communion where we lose our identity, where we all become just part of the same godness. And I think that where, where, the, where, the, where, the, where, the, where good theology lands is where God brings us glory to glory to fully be the person that he made us to be in that perfect harmony with all other humanity and with God. I think we have a word for that and we call it heaven. But I think we have many misconceptions about heaven. I think that when we, when we get into that place, when all evil is removed, when all threat is gone, when we have humbled ourselves to accept Jesus, then we are truly able to love as we are loved and we experience it then. Until then, we simply foreshadow. We have moments, just like in my marriage. We have moments where we do it well, where we love well, but we have a whole bunch of times where we're screwed up. And so what we have when we we see that the law could not give life, because if it could, then righteousness would be by the law. It It was God's promise to be with his people. It was part of his covenant. It was Israel's promise to follow the law, you know, that, that, that gave the, the, the guidelines for, for what the sustainable life is. And so that's why we see in Galatians 3.21 that the law is not contrary to the promises of God. The, the law of God's not wrong. It's giving the framework. It's saying that a boat is supposed to float. It's saying this is what it looks like. This is what it's supposed to look like. Absolutely, we can foreshadow those moments where, where we're like, yeah, look, it's, it's floating, it's floating. It's not floating. And we look at it and go, that's what it's supposed to look like. But I can't sustain it here except for Christ. See, God will show you the paradigm shift required for how to live in his kingdom. That is the sustainable way that we just talked about. See, the Jewish community was was exactly this. It was the attempt to be faithful to God's way of living, even though the conditions were not acceptable to God's way of living. It was impossible for them. The conditions were set that it wasn't safe. It wasn't a secure place for them to do it fully. It wasn't 
and, and our own pride and our own experience say, well, we can't do it. See, humanity cannot flawlessly and faithfully fulfill God's ways because we are part of the broken system. We are part of the broken system. I was born into it. I can't even imagine. You know, I've got these, these, these comments here on Slack. You know, the answer is not putting our wants over, an, the answer is not putting our wants over another need, over another's needs. Absolutely. It's, it's great. And then Mark says, that works until human nature overwhelms us. It's our condition to put our wants over another person's need. You know, and, and we see this discussion happening here on Slack. We see it because we know that we're not in the atmosphere, we're not in the condition of life that makes it possible. So what do we do? The solution that is offered to us, the eternal solution and today's solution that is offered to us is for God to be faithful to His promises. Look at this. Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say, and to his offspring, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Who is Christ. God made Abraham a promise to bless the entire world through his offspring, Jesus. Ultimately, promised group, we are, or promised church, we are rooted in this promise of Jesus. His promise is to bless the world. His promise is to say, I myself will live inside of you. I will be the one doing the work in you, making it right. God is making himself right in you. If you've put faith in Jesus, he is making it right in you. Jesus is God being fully faithful. See, when Jesus is born into humanity, when he incarnates, that's the technical word for it, when Christmas happens, Jesus is already in the environment of perfect harmony with God. He knows it. He's experienced it. He loves it. The environment he comes into is not the environment of a sunken ship, but the environment of a cruise liner sailing properly and he sustains it through his entire life knowing that he is absolutely loved by God regardless whatever self thing comes against him whatever place that he might feel he might need to self-protect or elevate himself look at Matthew 4 the temptations of Jesus look at Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus should have self-protected but didn't he was able to do that because he was he was on the cruise liner that all of his needs were being taken care of. The love of God was all over him. He could do it, and he did it. The Bible shut everything up under, everything together under the power of sin so that the promise which comes by the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah should be given to those who believe. Galatians 5.22. So Jesus gives us the freedom to join in the kingdom of God and trust God to supply all our needs. Jesus gives us the freedom to enjoy the things of God because you 
can trust God for all of your needs. Jesus fulfills sustainable harmony between God and humanity and lifts the sunken ship above the water. He is a crane that just lifts it up above the water and says, you will swim float again. God is in the business of restoring sunken ships, of which I am one. He is in the business of changing that. And this is the truth of the good news. It's not about how good I am or how many times I fight the battle against this that's going to get me the victory. It's about me turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, lift this sunken ship above the waters so that I don't have to bail out a ship that's sunk again, that my decks can be dry, that I can live even just for a moment in that glory. The solution's not in our striving, Corey wrote, but in resting in his faithfulness to his promise. Look, there are people here who this is a big news for them. There are people who are watching that this is paradigm shifting. The call that God gives to you is to say, God, I need you. I can't bail out this ship because it's sunken. I see what the ideal is, but I keep on doing what is not ideal. And I feel like a piece of crap because of it. I need you to wash me, to lift this sunken ship, to allow me to see your work in my life. And the call is to trust God, to say, I trust you. I trust you to do that in my life. I trust you to bring changes in my life, to show me a new way. I trust you to do that. But ultimately, I look forward to the completed work when that is done. God is not in the business of sinking ships. Amen. He's in the business of lifting the sunken ships out of water. Amen. Let me pray. God, we find ourselves overwhelmed by the reality of our life sometimes, and we can't help but step in transgression because I view my world through my own lens. I can't see it all the time from your perspective. I can't get my head around what it looks like to be so selflessly vulnerable because this world isn't safe enough for that right now. God, we look to you to say redeem humanity as a whole because we need you to. Redeem humanity as a whole. Bring us to a place where once again we can be in that perfect harmony with God and with each other without fear of the other. That the fear of abuse, the fear of failure, the fear of, of, of not having enough, the, the fear of not being enough would no longer be what defines us, but that you will pour all that we need into us. God, I pray that you would rescue humanity. And I turn my heart towards you 
as my only hope. And there are people in this room who are with me saying, I turn my heart towards you as our only hope. And we ask you to help us foreshadow what it looks like to be in that place of harmony with you and with each other. Help Promise Church be a place that foreshadows it. Help our marriages be a place that foreshadow it. Help our relationship between our siblings be a place that foreshadows it. Where we love each other so well because you love us. And God, I pray that we would, that you would remove all guilt from us. Make us righteous. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining with us today. I pray that you have a great week and God bless you.